So you might have found one of these on your seat when you sat down this morning. And uh, it's uh, just a facility to enable you to uh, indicate what you would like to give for our Build to Reach. You can fill that out while I'm talking if you haven't already. We'd love you to participate this morning. If you're visiting this morning, um, I know that God blesses people where they sow seed. And we'd love you, if you're visiting today, to participate in this Build to Reach offering also. It's not a closed shop at all. And uh, I'm confident to say to you that we intend to use um, the offering that's brought to reach people who don't know Jesus one way or another over the next 12 months. This morning's message is built around just a bit of an overview and having a bit of a look at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, the story of Abraham being called to um, go to a place the Lord will show him. And I want to just talk to you a little bit about that um, from the point of view of, and this is the thought that came to me as I was preparing this message, um, and if you want to write notes today, this little line could be one to think about, with an us, I am bigger than me. With an us, I am bigger than me. I want to say that um, one of the downsides of 21st century popular culture is an obsession with individualism. There's a great dimension to individualism and individual rights, so to speak, the individual sense of personal space and freedom, which I totally get and go, definitely precious. But it's a sad day when individualism overtakes the... Uh, the Ferrari of us. Kind of individualism's like a Holden Commodore parked next to a Ferrari. Um, there's nothing wrong with a Holden Commodore. It'll get you from point A to point B. I intend to live my life out going from point A to point B. But if I actually get out of my world and get into our world, if I'm prepared to get into our vehicle, not my vehicle, if I'm prepared to get into our joint venture with us, I am bigger than me. It's an amazing thing that God seems to have this incredible and built this knack into us that when we form community around a common purpose, that we can achieve incredibly, seemingly, in fact, it says in the book of Genesis, I shared this a few weeks ago, around the Tower of Babel, if speaking one language, we can basically, it says, get into a place of unity. There's nothing that's impossible for us. That's even without the, the influence of God and the Holy Spirit. God just makes a statement that when we, get a, when we get an us in us, when we get a we in us, we've got the potential to change what is not changeable. We've got the potential to change the Adelaide Hills with an us. You and I can clunk around on our own as an I, and, and we'll, we'll have some impact. I've got no doubt about that. But I've got to tell you, it pales in the significance compared to the us and the impact of we, both here in uh, the Adelaide Hills, our footprint here with this congregation, and, and by that I mean not us here on a Sunday, I mean you going about your um, weekly activities with an us in mind. I'm absolutely convinced that if I um, go out into what I do the rest of the week with an us in mind, I've got more capacity to shift things than I have if I go out with an eye in mind. Does that make sense? And so I, I want to put it to you that um, the story of Abraham kind of indicates how this works because every one of us in this room needs to respond to God's love as an individual. Every one of us needs to respond to Jesus 
with a yes in our own heart. So I can't say yes to Jesus for you. The individual part of the Christian walk is a changed heart on the inside of every individual believer. We give our life to him. He gives his life and eternity to us. And we become a Christ follower. That's an individual part. And so God's always going to call you and me to do something. He's going to call me. Say me. He's going to call me to do something for him. That's a great thing. Every one of us in this room, I'm convinced, has got a call from God, whether we are living in it or not, it's beside the point. He's calling us to extend his kingdom. But the difficulty we have, I think, with an obsession with individualism is that it's difficult to see always that the us side of doing it is always going to be more fruitful. So God calls Abraham, he says to him in verse 1 of chapter 12, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you, say you. He's talking to one guy. I'll make you into a great, a great nation. Straight away, God's indicating to me that his agenda is not Abraham. Even though the story is about Abram, and this, at this point in the story is called Abram, not Abraham. Um, even though the narrative is about this guy's interaction with God, God's agenda is not Abram. God's agenda is a nation. God's ag- agenda is blessing for all people through him for all time. God's agenda is not, I'm going to bless Bruce Williams. I've called him to be a pastor. He's going to be blessed because I've called him. That's not God's agenda. God's agenda is he's called me to be a pastor so that his kingdom can extend. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about his kingdom expanding. I will make you into a great nation and then I'll bless you. So there's no doubt about it. Abraham himself is going to get blessed. But again, I'd want to say to you, that's not God's end game. The end game is that his blessing flows. Say flows. It flows like a river through the timeline of every human being who ever turns to God. This promise to Abraham is where it starts for you and me. Paul goes to great lengths to unpack the connection between the promise made to Abram in this story as a historical fact in the nation's history of Israel, it is, to the point that you and I as people of faith have been adopted into the promise because of faith. And it's faith that is the step here that Abram takes. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse you, curse those who curse you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There again, that's just painting this massive picture. He's talking to a guy who's in his 90s. Maybe. Definitely older than me. And he's got no kids. He must be thinking, I don't know whether you've had this conversation with God. Are you sure talking to the right guy? You got the right phone number? Did you you ring the wrong mobile number by mistake? Um, I got a phone call from some guy the other day. Just rang up. He says, congratulations, Mr. Williams. I said, what for? He says, you've won. I said, I won what? He says, you won a $3,000 US dollar holiday to Florida, Disneyland. I said, have I? He says, yeah. I said, how did I do that? He says, oh, you answered a survey on Facebook. I said, I did? I thought, no, I'm not that kind of a person on Facebook. Anyway, the, he just, and 
went on and went on and went on and went on and, went on and cut to the chase. All right, well, I've got to have a credit card number. I thought, aha, aha. I said, well, I'll give you my credit card number as long as you give me an email right now that explains to me with an email trail who you are, where you're from, and what I've won. I can't do that. He said, I'll send you the whole pack after you give me a credit card number. I said, no. And he, he said, just give me the first four numbers. I said, don't you understand the word? No, just give me the first four numbers. I thought, I'll fix him up. He said, give us the first four numbers, 4564. Four. I think it's a Visa card. So, and he says, oh. He's, and he went on and on and on. And just give me the next 12. I said, mate, if you don't send me an email, I'm not giving you 12 numbers. And we were there for 10 minutes. And he was so nice. Oh, Mr. Williams, you imagine taking your grandkids, blah, 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 thinking, mate, give him the 12 numbers. Every, at the end of every little, it's like, I think he had the wrong number. <laughs> he definitely wasn't a happy boy by the time the phone conversation was said, mate, in English, there's only one word I want to say to you, no, N-O. And he, oh, we'll give it to someone else. Then I said, suits me fine. I didn't have it in the first place, so you can take it away if you want, mate. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. The wrong number. Maybe you felt like that with God. He's been, you know, God actually has got a prize for you. And you've gone, no, you've got the wrong number. No, he might have picked you. He might have picked you for an impossible assignment. I know for Simon and Georgia that saying yes to being the location pastors at Parkside wasn't, oh, fantastic. I've been waiting all my life for God to speak to us. I've got to tell you, they're still rearranging what they thought were their priorities, obediently, not begrudgingly, laying down dreams, laying down things they thought they may or may not do up here in the hills. They're prepared to put that over here, pick up this and go there. I've got to tell you, don't, don't you for one moment think, oh, that's a breeze. Wish I could do that. No, no, you, you don't want to wish that at all. You want to just make sure you hear God and you do what he says, whatever that might be. So Abram's called to become a great nation. So, verse 4. So Abram went. Now, if we stop there and that's a full stop, you go, he got it. He heard from God and he's an obedient little boy and he heads off following God. Right? Right? You're all a little hesitant because you know it's a trick comment, question. As the Lord had told him, so far so good. So Bruce has got a call from God, not a hoax call, but a real call. Steps out and I'm going to go where God wants me to go. Good for me. There's a semicolon in this sentence, however, which means the next bit's connected to the first bit directly. Abraham left by himself, supposedly, seemingly, but, or semicolon and Lot went with him. Abram was 75. There you go. Old when he set out from Haran. Told you he was old, but not 90 yet. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated. Oh, hang on a minute. And the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. So all of a sudden, we've got one guy who's heard about a promise. And his first step. Say first step. His first step is with us. Let me say that again. His first step is with an us, not a me. I'm going to 
pursue the call of God. God's got his gifts in my life and I'm going to follow God. I want to be careful to say, in some junctures, I'm making a point and there's, there's nothing wrong with that except that it's second best. God seems to me to call us when the Holy Spirit fell in the book of Acts. It didn't fall on a whole pack of individuals in their respective houses having their respective prayer meetings. It fell in a building where 120 people were gathered. God's in the business of us and we, always. Always. What's that got to do with build to reach? Build to reach is about us. I don't know what it is about God's capacity to be a miracle working God, but I know this. When I put what I'm going to put into the offering in the offering and you put what you put in the offering, what's in there doesn't add up to what we put in there. It adds up on the computer later on in the accounting system, X plus Y equals Z. I've got that. But when we put our resources together, the we thing converts that into something bigger than its sum. Somehow or other, it becomes supernaturally impregnated with potential. It becomes supernaturally seeded with a future that is all about us understanding this thing. When we come together and give an offering to God, we can change the world. Who's excited about that? So you can keep giving to various charities as an individual. Keep doing that. Be generous. Be a person who gives. I've got no problem with that, and I do it myself. But I've got to tell you, I don't want to ever walk away from a revelation that I've had that when we come together and we bring an offering to God that we put together, He does something supernatural. He does something extraordinary. I love this little details in this, this scripture. Haran, where they were, means crossroads. How cool is that? He's living in a place called Crossroads. He had every reason like you and I can today to go, I'm hearing you, Pastor, but no. Nah. That crossroad could have been, he could have gone down the no road, but he went down the yes road. We've all got that choice in front of us this morning. How's it going to look? You might be at a crossroad right now and I've got two couples that I've asked to come and help you have a think about your crossroad. I'm going to ask Murray and Rachel, first of all, Seymour to come up. They've got a testimony, a story to tell us about what God's done in their world. These two legends have been around in the... Come this way. I'm not that scary. Come on. These guys and their family have been a total blessing in our church. They came to us from C3 Church, Oxford Falls, in the little metropolis of Sydney, and settled here in Adelaide Hills, and you guys have been such a blessing in our church, and we love you guys and your family to bits. But you've got so many stories about God's goodness in your life, so just tell us what you want to share this morning. Uh, well, we, uh, we just wanted to share with you a little testimony from a few years ago. It was um, not long after we came down from Sydney, and... Um, we were wanting to share it because uh, we, we really want to encourage people in their giving and, and to really know that um, you can trust God when you do give. Yeah. So, uh, Rachel, do you want to... Well, I, I guess my part was the, um, the, the, the dividend part. Uh, so we, when we came down, we started up a little business and um, 
after a little after a couple of years it started to make some uh, some money so we got a dividend and we wanted to um, uh, allocate that to, to God as our first fruits offering because it was really him that brought the opportunity for us to do this at all so um, we we decided we would put the whole dividend uh, that that particular amount aside uh, for giving and we were going to give it at the presence conference in uh, Sydney uh, coming up that that April so I'll hand over to Rachel for the next part. <laughs> That's the nuts and bolts of that part of it. Come on, Rachel, yeah, give us the rest of it. Yeah, well, about um, maybe just two weeks after we'd set that money aside, I felt quite excited that it'd be a, a really good thing to do. Um, I was having lunch at home just eating a sandwich and half of my really back tooth just suddenly fell out. Um, I thought, this is a bit weird. So I went down to the dentist, made an emergency appointment and um, he started drilling and then he went, oh, no, I can't, I can't save this tooth. And he quickly closed it up and took some x-rays. And he found that I had a rare condition where the roots in my teeth were um, dissolving and getting eaten up by healthy tissues. And so he said, um, that tooth has to be taken out. And the one just along and down has to be taken out because it also has hardly got any roots left and it's going to fall out as well. And you're not going to be able to eat on the left-hand side um, because nothing's going to meet up and so you're going to need to go in and I recommend you do it straight away and get like a dental implant. So he gave me a quote for this and the quote was um, the same money that we had decided to set aside. It was $7,000. Can you believe that to get a tooth? <laughs> and then he said um, it's a, like a progressive condition so he said it will probably spread through. So I kind of went home with visions of gradually losing all my teeth and I thought maybe I should just get them all out and get dentures, I don't know. Anyway, so um, I did go and see a specialist for a second opinion because it's quite a big thing to suddenly go into hospital and get two teeth out and an implant and um, he said, yeah, he looked at the x-rays and showed me how the roots had disappeared in both of the teeth. Um, but the one that was broken, that was really painful. Um, so anyway, I talked to Murray about it and he said, well, unfortunately, the only money that we could come up with at short notice was the money that we'd set aside to give. Let's just stop for two seconds. Remember, <laughs> this is the crossroad. The crossroad, this, yeah. This is the crossroad conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we, I felt like we were being robbed of an opportunity. We were so looking forward to giving this money and then suddenly we don't have it to give. We have to get this tooth done. So I decided not to get the tooth done. I just went and got the one out, one of them out, so I can still eat. And I thought, I'm just going to wait and wait till the other one falls out and then hope that by then God has provided some money for us. Well, can you believe that that was seven years ago? And I've still got the tooth. And I went to the dentist. My dentist used to keep saying, oh, and how's that tooth going? You know, expecting it to fall out any minute. Um, and it wasn't until just a couple of months ago I had an X-ray where... He said, something kind of really strange has happened, but um, that tooth is somehow sort of stabilised and regrown. Um, he said, it's got some sort of calcium that's built it up. And he said, I no longer have that condition. He said that since, um, it's like seven years ago, yeah. So I believe, um, you know, at that moment, he said that there was no longer any further deterioration, rather a kind of a healing. Um, which he said was very unusual. Um, so we got to give our money. I got to keep my teeth. <laughs> um, and we got to basically sew into something that has eternal value. So um, 
Yeah. Thank you, guys. That's a wonderful story. Thank you so much. Bless you, guys. Wow. Don't you love testimonies? How good are they? Got another one to come in a minute, but I might just keep going for a minute and we'll get our next couple up in a moment. So, crossroads. Maybe you're at a crossroad this morning. Maybe you've, maybe it's not a financial issue. Maybe you've got a health condition that's a bit like a Rachel shared, a, a chronic, like diagnosed, this is not good news kind of deal going down in your life. And you might be at a crossroads of thinking, well, I've trusted God and nothing seems to have shifted. I want to say to you that having that thought's not wrong at all. But understand what it is. It's a crossroad conversation. It's a decision whether I'm going to continue to walk down the, the roadway of faith or I'm going to walk down the road of doubt or fear or disillusionment or resentment or get really dirty with God and turn my back on him. It's like all of those things can happen at a crossroad. This morning, I want you to do an Abraham moment. I want you to do a Murray and Rachel Seymour moment and just go, We're gonna, we are going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. Maybe, just maybe. And I'm not saying these things are linked. But as I said before, when we were singing the breakthrough song, we've got to give God something. I don't mean money. We've got to give him something in the way of faith. There's got to be some kind of movement on the inside of my heart. I am going to do what seems nonsensical to me and step into God with this deal. It's like, I know breakthrough is coming. Well, maybe the breakthrough is in this crossroad conversation. You might be having it right now. So, you know what? I am going to give God an offering this morning in our build to reach. You might have already decided what that is and what you're going to give, but you might be thinking as you're sitting there going, hang on a minute, I'm still having a crossroad conversation with God. Why isn't my heart settled? Well, don't settle until you settle. Let's just keep talking for another five or ten minutes and, and uh, hearing what's in this word. Here's the next part of this story is fascinating. So Abram travelled through the land as far as the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So he's in the land of Canaan, the land that he's meant to inherit. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, oh, get a load of this. This is the bit that's tricky. He doesn't say, well, this is the land, buddy. Welcome to it. He says, to your offspring... I'll give you this land. Hang on a minute. I haven't got any offspring. Hang on a minute. I've moved. I've been conned. You pull one over my eyes. You said I would. And now you're saying they will. And I haven't got any of these. Got to remember that God's always looking over our horizon. Got to remember he can always see beyond what we can see. He's got no problem telling Abram his offspring are going to have this land because he knows their offspring is coming. Abraham's just not quite on the program yet. He's with the program as far as taking his steps. He's taking his steps. And what's his response to this? He's got, I would have thought, all manner of reasons to be a little bit kind of confused. I would be. He's got every reason to be a little bit maybe disillusioned. He's got every reason to be a little bit kind of Okay, God, there's a whole lot of gaps in this story that aren't kind of working for me. Can you fill it in? Let's, like the picture's this big and you've given me that. And some of us, when we don't get enough information, we don't move. 
and we haven't got enough this, enough whatever, we haven't got enough information, probably the best word I can think of at the moment, we can end up being frozen, so to speak, in a spot where it's like, well, I can't move till you get more information. Abraham decides on one thing. So he's at this moment where God said, to your offspring I'll give this land. Let's just imagine a bit of kerfuffle going on in here. What's his choice? So he built an altar to the, there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Later on in the scripture, God himself says to Abram, I am your very great reward. Abram's worked out whether I get this or don't, whether my offspring get it or they don't, I'm a blessed man because God's appeared to me. I've won. It's like, oh man, I, I can't say, so he just builds an altar. What's that mean? He brought an offering. He gets a revelation with an incomplete story. Your story, my story is incomplete. Seasby Parkside is incomplete. It hasn't really started. Well, it has, but it's in pre-launch zone. It's, it, it's like, it's an incomplete story. The story of people getting saved through the life of this church is incomplete. There are thousands of people and generations to come when we're no longer here who will get saved into the kingdom of God because we are here this morning and we are going to contribute to this Build to Reach offering. What would it be like, and I've said this before from this platform, if we in heaven get to turn around one day, if that's how it will work, and see literally thousands of people who for generations, let's say three, four, five, six hundred, seven hundred thousand years from now, some people think Jesus is coming back tomorrow. We don't know. If he's not coming back, that gives more time for more people to come to Christ because of what we give today. We have the capacity together to change the course of history in Australia. How cool is that? It's like, that sounds pretty cocky. No, that's an us moment. When it's us, I couldn't change the country if I tried. I'm just a little person living in the Adelaide Hills. I've got my little Facebook posts. I've got my little Gideon identity uh, blog. Man, it's changing the world, that thing. Whew, you want to see the comments I get on that. That's oh, unbelievable. I've had it going for about four years now. You know, the only comments I get is someone offering to help me manage its SEO rating. That's search engine optimization, right? For those who don't know, it's like, I haven't had a comment from one, none of you even. What is going on? <laughs> well, I've given up putting posts on there with no point, no point throwing pearls to swine. I just go, you know. <laughs> oh, dear. I digress. Uh, anyway. But I'm very pleased that our... Adelaide Hills, C3 Adelaide Hills Facebook page and other social media seems to do lots of good things. Just that I'm not, I'm very upset about that. <laughs> I might need to go to therapy. Anyway, he, he worships God with an offering. Might be a good time to pause. Dave and Tegan, come and tell us your story. Welcome to Shorts as they come. There you go, man. One for you and one for you. Okay, this story is not really about us, but uh, it sort of is. Teagues and I and the kids went to Fiji a couple of weeks ago, which was the week after the build team had gone. And um, we went to church there and, and uh, asked whether we could go out and see the house that got built. And we went for a little bit of a drive out there, eventually found it. And um, the owners, um, Edward and Lithiana, 
were sitting up on their little front porch part, so we pulled up out the front and they probably were surprised to see a hire car out in the middle of the sticks out there. And we got out of the car and we actually had a chat to them. And I think what's, what sort of was impressing, impressed on us was that in giving, we're actually not only blessing the people that get the, the, the gift, in this case the house, but also other people in our church as well. Because we just felt so proud of the people, the church, everyone who's given into that to be part of this church who actually went there and did it, to see the change in, in their lives, um, the change in all of the people in the church who are just so proud of everything that we do, are very grateful for everything. So it was, it was more so a testimony of um, seeing the outworking of what we're here and what we're doing today because it's a, it's a really important thing. When you, you're talking about Crossroads just before and we saw the photos before these guys went over there that they lived in a shed. Uh, or not even a shed, just Shanty. between two parts no, of a building. Yes. And we drove past that and we saw it and the kids who'd seen the picture, oh, there it is there. And you, you look at what must have been in their mind at the time, where they were living, that got flooded all the time, to where they are now, just because we do what we're doing today. So awesome. it's a really awesome thing to see. Tiggs, what, what are you going to tell us as well? Yeah, so I was just really convicted when we were there because we, we always give, that's not a question, but... I just didn't have that connection to Fiji without being there. So I always, even the language that I used, it was like, oh, yeah, we've got a team that goes over. But so we've got a team. Yeah. But, Come on. But it's actually we go over. Like, yeah, yeah the team totally. represents us. And I just um, really felt they're like, it was a week after it had been built and they already have, like, a little shed that they've built out the back on their own. But Litiana has wall hangings on the wall and they've got, you know, the little baby gate so the kids can't fall down the stairs and stuff. And I just thought, she's just like me. She just wants a home for, for her, her children. Absolutely. Somewhere that she can be proud of. And, mm-hmm. I, and I just really felt that. And it was just that connection of, you know, we're in a different country and completely different cultures and certainly different means that we have. But her mother's wish in her heart is the same as mine. Absolutely. Yeah. So don't go for a second. So what's important in what they shared is this. We go there. You might not have been on the build team this trip or ever, (laughs) but that's irrelevant. You guys went and you were able to genuinely say, we did this. Mm. And I've got no qualms about that. There's a story in uh, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30 where David's men have this big moment of catastrophe. Wives and kids are taken off into captivity and his soldiers are so stuffed, most of them decide they, they head off, but many of them decide we can't go to the battlefield because we're just not strong enough. So David says, well, hang out, just stay here. But those that could went ahead. They caught up with the Amalekites, smashed them up, beat them up, killed them, got all their possessions back. It's a gruesome story. They came back, and the guys who went out there started to say, well, the guys who waited behind can't share in the plunder. And David said, no, 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 no. They're part of our crew. The plunder belongs to... All of us. So I want to say to you that that the us is not about who's doing what. The us is about us contributing. Thanks, guys. Thanks, those of you. All right, I'll finish off my little bit of scripture and then uh, a few more stories that I've got written down here that add to all of that. From there, this is Abram, he went toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord. He's still in the promise, but it's not being fulfilled yet. And his next port of call, he still decides to take an offering to the Lord. 
and he called on the name of the Lord. And from there, verse 9, it finishes. Then Abram set out and continued to the Negev. The Negev means wilderness slash desert in Israel. Current day Israel, beyond Beersheba, is the Negev. It's the patch of land that kind of goes down and, and leans away from Egypt. But let's just say it's remote, desolate, and wilderness. Think about that. It's got a promise. This is really difficult to think about. He's moved. He's brought everybody with him that belongs to him. He's got an us with him. They've walked through the promise, and now they're stepping out of the promise into the wilderness, into the desert, into the land of not much. You might have stepped through your promise and thought, hang on a minute, I haven't got it. What am I doing here in the desert? How come it feels so lonely and destitute and desolate out here where I find myself at the moment? That's got nothing to do with the delivery of your promise as far as God's concerned. It's got everything to do with you and me, like Abram, deciding to keep going. So, straight up, God deals with an us. Build to Reach is consistent with this theme. God connects you and me as individuals so we can impact nations. Hence, continue to be part of his promise to Abram to make you into a great nation. So just as Dave and Teagues just shared um, about Lovu, we also um, here as a bunch of individuals have sponsored about, how many, 40-something kids? 38 children in that Lovell community. So not only have we built houses there, we sponsor these primary school-aged kids every year for a lot of their schooling requirements. One of us doing that would be a good thing, but I've got to tell you, the impact in that community, because of nearly 40 of us doing it, we have impacted that community. Yes. Way more than if I had done it or you'd done it on your own. Um, our intention to start the location in Parkside as a we will have more impact and fruit than if we send an I. Like we are going down there. It's like you may not be physically going down there, but you're going down there. You may not be not attending here. You might be saying right here in Handorf. But I've got to tell you, we are going to Parkside. Anyone say amen to that? Julie and I go to Europe. It's a we moment. It might not appear to be a we moment. Um, we have relational connection with pastors and churches in Europe but only because of we. It is our reputation and our name as a C3 church that has opened the doors for us there. It's not because I'm the world's best preacher, trust me. It's not because Julie and Bruce are nice people. It's because we represent us and we get sent. And when we are there, we've got a reputation that's a we reputation, not a me reputation. We've got to understand this stuff to think it through. I've had people tell me over the years they feel God is calling them to itinerant ministry overseas. Uh, my question to them is, why would a church have you? Like, preachers are a dime a dozen, but great churches are not. People sent from great churches are worth gold. Great people from great churches. That's why we have an impact in Fiji. It's because we are a great church sending a great team. I hope this is helping somebody. So having this building in Handorf has impacted the community. We changed the atmosphere in this town and indeed the Adelaide Hills. How do I know this? Well, I can't show you measurable stats to say this has happened, that's happened, etc. But maybe to give an anecdotal evidence of the resistance 
that is in play when a church tries to buy property. The level of challenges, hurdles and sometimes attack that arise whenever a church wants to acquire or develop land or buildings is extraordinary. It was quite a battle. I was speaking to a pastor during this week from the city that I mentor, non-C3 guy. And uh, their church, through a set of unfortunate circumstances, needs to borrow some money. And uh, he said, the banks just straight out said we don't lend money to churches. Straight up. When we tried to buy this building... I went to every bank in Mount Barker, only one would even look at us. As soon as mentioned it was for church, we don't, we don't lend money to churches. That's 15 years ago. There's this unspoken, at times hidden, hassle. It's like, well, how do we get over that hill? Tenacity, brute strength, smart pastor, good businessman. No, we went to prayer. We Got a breakthrough. And I, no, I won't name names. It's not an advertising moment. Um, but one of the banks in Mount Barker gave us a loan, for which we're very grateful. And we've nearly paid it off, but that's another story. This might help us to do that today. Amen. Um, because we own this place, we've been able to run the hand off Chris Kindlemark and have a massive influence in the atmosphere of the town and the businesses that are in it. Took a while, but we got there. We also run a dance school, music school, and a play group on this site, besides our youth ministry on Friday nights and other times of the day and night, and Sunday services. Like, we've got a footprint. Never ceases to amaze me that people want to have an ideological discussion about whether churches should even own property. It's not a discussion about whether it's right or wrong as far as I'm concerned, but I believe something shifts in a community when we do own property. There's no doubt about it. For me, these sorts of discussions end up revealing my pet peeve at the moment. I'm not going to say that. Just forget I said that. Um, too much fun today. Um, give it a story, though. When we moved to Middleton in 1982, Julie and I were, I was working in the bank, and we got put in a bank house. And so the whole town knew that the new bankers had turned up. It was a rental. And uh, we were in that town for eight years. Half that time, we were in a rental and all those, that was basically four years of renting a property, nearly four years. And I would say, just without being critical of the people of the town, it's just a country town dynamic, they treated us like visitors who've come to do something and we're going to leave. We, we were never treated like locals. And in fact, anecdotally, it's like you've got to be there about six generations to be a local, but that's another story. Um, the moment we bought a house, like overnight the attitude towards us as a family changed from, oh, you're putting roots down here, welcome. It was a different welcome than the welcome we got when we got there four years previous. That's the difference between a church owning property, in my view, and not. It's not a case of wrong and right, it's just what do we want to end up doing in our community. Okay, got that? We've got the, the cap debt centre, we've talked about that. Um, I've got to say to you, Build to Reach offering will open the doors to a future that will bless nations. So, where are we going from here? We're going to receive our offering in a moment. I've talked about a lot of things today. Talked about being at a crossroads, saying yes to God. Now, clearly this is in the context of doing what God wants with our life. The number one, the number one question crossroads destination that you and I can ever be at is the crossroad of deciding to have Christ in our life. It's pivotal. 
Once we make that choice and we head down that road, the other crossroads that we find in life begin to take on a different atmosphere, colour and tone. And you'll find God's help at your crossroad moments because you're in Christ. If you're here this morning and you're at that crossroad, maybe something I've said and the way I've said it, even though we're talking about an offering and we're talking about reaching nations and the build to reach offering, it might be that this service this morning has been the time where you've heard something from God and you go, you know what? I'm at that crossroad personally. As an individual, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to choose to go down the pathroad of being a Christ follower rather than a Christ rejecter or a cynic or a skeptic or a non-believer. I want to give my life to him. I want to receive Christ. If that's you this morning, I just want to ask everyone to close their eyes for a moment because this is a moment where an individual does need to make an individual decision. And I'd love you to slip your hand up. We've got some great people in our church that love to help people who find Christ as new Christians. Help them to learn how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to take the next steps. And uh, they actually, during this moment in the service, will not have their eyes closed because they, like me, would love to see your hand go up. And uh, they'll come over and talk to you. If you slip your hand up in a moment, they'll come and talk to you after the service about giving your life to Jesus and they'll pray with you. We picked the nicest people to help you at this point in time. So don't be afraid if someone taps you on the shoulder if you slip your hand up. So if you've never invited Christ into your life, I'd love you to slip your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor Bruce. I want to make that decision today to become a Christ follower. Or maybe you've lost your way. Maybe at some point, the crossroad, you made that decision. You went down the road with Jesus, but for whatever reason, one of those crossroads that you had subsequently, you took a wrong turn and you found yourself in a dead-end street going nowhere, why don't you come back to him this morning right now say, yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus again. Forgive me, Lord, for being an idiot. I know I made some big, big mistakes. Would you come and cleanse me and make me whole again? If that's you, or if you've never invited Christ in, I'd love you to slip your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor. Give me a wave and say, here I am. Anyone at all today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Awesome. Amen.